Is it possible to maximize your muscle potential without gimmicks or expensive supplements? Building muscle is never as simple as emulating the training methods of popular bodybuilders, and most people who follow their routines will only end up frustrated and overtrained. Instead, one of the leading strength and fitness experts in America says the real way for people to naturally transform their bodies is through a six-month periodized program that systematically manipulates exercise variables. He'll tell us all about his plan, the Max Muscle Plan, on this edition of Kinetic Connections. Hello and welcome to Kinetic Connections, a podcast from Human Kinetics, the premier publisher for sports and fitness. My name is Maury Williamson, marketing and publicity manager at Human Kinetics. On this edition, we welcome 2011 NSCA Personal Trainer of the Year, Brad Schoenfeld, a lifetime drug-free bodybuilder who has won numerous natural bodybuilding titles and worked with several elite-level physique athletes, including many top professionals. Brad is the author of the new book, The Max Muscle Plan, a complete guide to total body transformation that includes more than 100 of the most effective exercises and a detailed six-month muscle-building program that maps out every set and rep you need to perform to optimize muscle development. Brad, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Maury. Well, you say MAX is an acronym for Mitogen Activated Extreme Training, which is kind of a mouthful to some people. In layman's terms, can you kind of give us a brief overview of what mitogens are, what the MAX muscle plan is, and uh, kind of what sets it apart from other programs? Mitogens are substances that are produced in the body that promote growth. And the MAX muscle plan is designed in a way to maximize production of these growth-promoting substances, as well as other anabolic factors so that you achieve optimal muscular development. And what sets the MAX muscle plan apart from the other books is its scientific approach. I've been studying the mechanisms of muscle building for well over a decade and it was my area of interest for my master's thesis, and now it's the focus of my doctoral research. And I've harnessed all of the current science and then combined it with my many years of experience, which is in working with a wide variety of clients, including many high-level physique athletes, to develop the Max Muscle Program. And it's taken me years to perfect the system, and I'm really pleased to be able to offer it to the public in the form of this book. Now, you talk a lot in the book about periodization. How big of a role does periodization play in the Max Muscle Plan, and how can it help a person structure their exercise program to allow them to make ongoing progress and, you know, avoid those training plateaus that they dread? For those who don't know, periodization refers to the manipulation of training variables, such as reps and sets and rest intervals. And these variables are varied over time to optimize a training effect. And in this case, the periodization scheme in the max muscle plan is employed to promote maximal muscle hypertrophy, or another word for hypertrophy is growth. And the entire six-month routine is periodized in a way where each phase builds upon the previous one so that the trainee ultimately achieves maximal muscle growth by the end of the macro cycle, which are all the cycles of the routine put together. And one of the primary ways uh, this is accomplished is by systematically increasing the volume throughout the program. Now, volume has been shown to be perhaps the most important factor in hypertrophy. At least up to a certain point, a greater volume leads to greater gains in size. The problem is if you constantly train at high volumes, you end up rapidly becoming overtrained, which results in the dreaded plateau that you talked about. So in the max muscle plan, the increases in volume are interspersed with periods of what are called deloading, where both volume and intensity are decreased for a short period of time. And this ultimately provides the optimal balance of training and recovery so that gains continue over time. And, you know, you talk about, you know, changing the program up. And also, you know, some people think 
if I just keep lifting more and more, I'm just going to get bigger and bigger. You kind of say that's not really the case with this. And also genetics, a lot of people think genetics makes a big difference in their training. If they're already big, they're going to keep getting big. If they're small, you know, it's not going to be worth their time. You kind of say that's not really the case. How important are genetics to a person's muscle building potential? Genetics are always a huge factor. Studies show they account for up to about 50% of a person's ultimate muscular potential. But that certainly shouldn't discourage everyone because you're in control of at least 50% or more of, of your gains. So thinking that you're a slave to your, um, your genetics simply isn't true. But it does make it even more important for those who have difficulty packing on mass to train scientifically. And I've worked with a lot of people over the years who've told me they simply couldn't get bigger. And when I put them through iterations of the program uh, that are outlined in the book, they were able to gain significant amounts of muscle in a fairly short period of time. So uh, certainly genetics will be a factor, but there are many other factors, and everyone has the, the potential to maximize their own genetic uh, potential. Yeah, and you say everyone can really benefit from this plan. Uh, the results do vary based on somebody's training status, but some interesting things you have to say in the book about, you know, somebody starting out with a muscle building program, but also people who are more experienced can really experience some gains from the max muscle plan. Can you talk about that a little? As a general rule, if you're relatively untrained, people who have very little training experience, they're going to see more rapid gains than those who are more well-trained. And the reason is that the more experience that you have performing intense resistance training, the closer you are to your genetic ceiling for growth, and therefore the more difficult it becomes to add substantial mass over time. When you're just starting out, you can pack on a lot of mass very quickly, but as everyone knows, the results do uh, taper off as you start to get more experience. That said, I've worked with elite natural athletes who've gained around six pounds by the end of the six-month program, whereas they previously said they'd reached a training plateau. So certainly those who are well-experienced can see really excellent gains, but someone who's untrained or coming back from a layoff after training can often achieve double that. Uh, as far as their growth. An interesting point you bring up in the book, you talk about muscle soreness. You say that can actually be beneficial to muscle development. How so? It's not the soreness per se that can be beneficial, but rather the underlying cause of the soreness, which is muscle damage. And there is compelling evidence that some muscle damage uh, promoted by resistance training is good in the sense that it promotes a remodeling of muscle tissue, and ultimately the muscle ends up stronger than it was before through this remodeling. On the other hand, too much damage impairs remodeling and thus limits your ability to train and and thus limits your ability to achieve muscle growth. So you can think of it like getting a suntan. If you stay within the capacity of your skin to adapt to the amount of time you're spending in the sun, you'll get a nice tan, but if you overdo it, you're going to burn. So with this as background, we can say that a mild degree of soreness probably indicates that you've set the stage for muscle growth because it indicates that you've experience some degree of muscle damage that uh, will cause remodeling. But a lack of soreness uh, doesn't necessarily mean you haven't achieved any uh, growth or at least put the wheels in motion for that. So the bottom line is you shouldn't use soreness as a definitive gauge for a good workout. Now, in the book, you talk a little bit about satellite cells. You say they function uh, in a similar way to stem cells. Why are they so important to maximizing muscle development? Before answering that question, a little background info is necessary. Uh, The basis of muscle growth is achieved by a process called protein synthesis, 
which takes place in the nucleus of the muscle fibers. It's where the body produces, the muscles produce proteins to uh, add on to what you already have, and they form the basis of new muscle tissue. Now, muscles are multinucleated, meaning they have many nuclei in, the, uh, in their fibers. And this allows them to carry out sufficient protein synthesis that's required during normal daily living. However, when a person lifts weights intensely, the amount of nuclei that you have are not sufficient to support continued growth. And this is where satellite cells come into play. As you mentioned, satellite cells are basically unspecialized muscle stem cells that get called upon uh, to become active when needed. And during uh, intense resistance training, the satellite cells become activated and then they fuse to the muscle fibers that have been worked where they donate their nuclei so that the muscles can produce more proteins. And the max muscle plan is designed in a manner to heighten satellite cell activity, primarily through uh, promoting the release of mitogens that we discussed before, and thus ensuring the continued capacity for muscles to grow. Now, in the book, you talk about the three primary mechanisms involved in exercise-related muscle growth. And I'll note to our listeners that we actually have an excerpt on humankinetics.com from the Max Muscle Plan dealing with this. But can you talk a little bit about those uh, mechanisms? My master's thesis was titled uh, The Mechanisms of Muscle Hypertrophy and Their Application to Resistance Training, which, by the way, ended up getting published in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research uh, several years ago. And in this paper, I outlined that muscle growth from resistance exercise can be attributed to three primary factors. Mechanical tension, which is basically the forces exerted on a muscle. Metabolic stress, which involves the buildup of metabolites that are associated with intense exercise, such as lactate and hydrogen ions. And finally, muscle damage, which I discussed a moment ago. And of the three, mechanical tension appears to be the dominant factor in muscle hypertrophy, at least uh, up to a certain degree. Uh, without forces being exerted on a muscle, there simply isn't a reason for them to adapt and grow. Uh, but there is compelling evidence that a threshold exists for tension, and once you get beyond that threshold, other factors can be, uh, become extremely important in the process. And uh, the, basically those are metabolic stress and, and muscle damage. And that's why it's so important to train in a variety of rep ranges and manipulate the other program variables such as sets and training frequency and even the rest between sets if your goal is to achieve maximal muscle growth. Some other things you talk about in the book include uh, hormones and growth factors, those kinds of things that have been shown to play in muscle development. Can you talk a little bit more about those hormones and growth factors? So there are literally dozens of hormones and growth factors. A good deal of evidence points to a muscle-specific form of insulin-like growth factor called mechanogrowth factor as being especially important in the growth process. But research is showing that many others uh, are equally, if not actually more important. And current research is focusing on substances that are produced directly by the muscles themselves that are called myokines. And we're still in the early stages of understanding the specific roles of these myokines. But studies indicate that metabolic stress and muscle damage are involved in their release. And this goes back to what we discussed previously about multiple mechanisms being involved in maximizing the growth process and lends credence to the fact that getting bigger requires a varied approach. Now, in the book, obviously, you outline a number of important factors for people to follow uh, and things to consider when they begin a program. You say the top thing that they need to have in mind, though, is planning. Why is that? 
I liken the situation to going on a road trip without knowledge of how to get to your destination. And I think we can all agree this would be a highly inefficient way to travel and, and you're likely to get lost in the process. Well, it's the same thing with exercise. If you go to the gym without knowing precisely what you want to accomplish, your workouts are likely to be ineffective in producing the desired outcome. As I mentioned in the book, one of my favorite phrases is the old proverb, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. And if you don't plan your workouts, you're ultimately setting yourself up for failure to achieve your fitness goals. Definitely. Uh, let's talk some more about building muscle, something else you address in the book. What are your thoughts on training to momentary muscle failure? Well, from a, a muscle building standpoint, it is important to train to failure at least some of the time. Studies really have backed this up uh, for the most part, certainly the prevailing body of research. And in this way, uh, you maximize the inroading and stimulation of all muscle fibers. Now, that said, it's a mistake, as many people do, to take all of the sets to the point of, of momentary muscular failure, particularly when you're performing multiple set routines that are necessary for maximizing hypertrophy. And I see uh, people in the gym all the time pushing every set to the limit and beyond and thinking that this is the best way to spur growth, but it's really a misguided thought process. Uh, these people inevitably become overtrained, which actually ends up leading to a plateau or even a decrease in results. So the bottom line is that you should incorporate failure training into some of your sets, but not all of them, and this should be done in a periodized fashion where unloading cycles are interspersed into the mix to facilitate recuperation. And moving on to another factor, exercise selection. Now, in the book, you, you outline every single thing a person needs to do. How important is their selection of exercises to the max muscle plan? Well, there is definitely a benefit to using a variety of exercises for maximizing muscle growth. Things like free weights and machines and cables all have certain advantages and disadvantages from a muscle building standpoint, and the disadvantages of one tend to be the advantages of another. So combining the, these types of, of movements produces a synergistic effect that will maximize results. And it's the same thing from training from multiple angles. The deltoids, the pecs, they're partitioned into separate heads that allow you to target individual areas of the muscle. So by doing one move, it's going to focus on, on a certain head, and doing a different move in a different plane will focus on a different head. And muscles such as the trapezius, for example, have upper, lower, and middle regions that can each be activated by different movement patterns. There's even emerging evidence that the majority of muscles are compartmentalized so that many of the fibers within the muscle don't actually span the entire length of the muscle. And all of this points to the... Uh, importance of exercise variety in a muscle building program. Finally, from a muscle building standpoint, you have some uh, thoughts on the use and perceived benefits of unstable surface devices. Can you talk a little bit about that? As a general rule, unstable surface training should be de-emphasized if the goal is to gain mass. Now, this doesn't mean there isn't potential uses in, in other types of routines for unstable surface training, but from a muscle building standpoint, the problem with unstable surfaces is that it reduces the force you can exert during training. So basically you need to lighten the weights used, and it's been shown that the reduction is up to 50% or more of the, uh, the weight that you can use in a stable environment to accommodate the unstable surface. And what happens then is if you have to reduce the weight, it ultimately reduces the tension on the target muscles, which as discussed is the primary factor for initiating growth. So the take-home message is that for a hypertrophy-oriented program, 
the vast majority of exercises should be performed on stable surfaces. Well, great. Well, if, if our listeners truly want to transform their body the natural way, the Max Muscle Plan really spells everything out. It's going to really help you accomplish all your goals. You know, follow it correctly. Six months from now, you could indeed be a different person, or if not be a different person, you can certainly look like a different person. Brad, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate you joining us on Kinetic Connections. My pleasure, Maury. Hopefully we can do it again. Thanks. That was Brad Schoenfeld, author of The Max Muscle Plan. You can now find The Max Muscle Plan in bookstores everywhere or by visiting us online at humankinetics.com. On our website, you can also read excerpts from the book and learn more about Brad Schoenfeld and his other fitness titles. We would appreciate your feedback about Kinetic Connections. If you have questions or comments, please email us at publicity at hkusa.com. That's publicity at hkusa.com. I'm Maury Williamson, Marketing and Publicity Manager at Human Kinetics. Our engineer was Roger Francisco. We appreciate you joining us on this edition of Kinetic Connections.